before we get started um, this evening, in Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21. As we uh, look at this text uh, in Revelation here, understand that these are not my notes of Revelation chapter 21. I have, uh, and Mary has as well, she has read through these notes many more times as well as I have as we have helped Pastor edit these uh, notes the last, what, we, I think we started in 2020, maybe into 2021. Needed something to do in the midst of, you know, COVID. Um, so I'm going to do the best that I possibly can, but understand that I couldn't potentially do anywhere close um, to what Pastor could do if he were up here. And uh, these notes are a, a lifetime of uh, his work uh, through the book of Revelation, you know, taught through so many times. Uh, some of you have, I see every once in a while, I see some of those older notebooks um, that you have, the old ones. Um, some of you may have brought them in, I think the 2004, 2005 edition uh, notes. Um, so he's taught through Revelation a lot. Um, so he's, he's synthesized that material into these notes uh, that hopefully we'll be able to publish uh, once we finish and he makes any last minute changes or or, or adjustments, we might say. Uh, if you've ever written a book before, and I can speak on that behalf because I have, um, there's a point where you get done with it and you say, okay, I'm finished. I don't want to see it anymore because every time you read it, you find something else that you want to change. Um, oh, uh, I didn't add this, or oh, let's take away this, or oh, let's do this or this or that. Um, so you'll finally get a good copy in a book, and uh, we hope to have those available, I would say, yeah, within a few months, uh, provided the pastor is able to um, look through the last manuscript and make his last marks and changes uh, provided for his health. And I also ask that you would continue to pray uh, for his, his health, pray that um, you would help. Uh, um, I think the best way uh, to pray would be pray that God reveals a clear path um, for uh, them to go. I feel like they're going in a trying to figure out what's going on in a couple different directions. And they're kind of unclear as to exactly what direction to go. And uh, so just pray that God reveals to them a, a clear path uh, that he wants them to go uh, to get everything uh, fixed and back in order and, and uh, back up here in the pulpit. I think it pains him so much. I know it does not to be up here. Um, you tell someone um, what they've done for 40 years, um, you can't do, uh, it, 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 it hurts. And, uh, so we would just ask that you could just continue to pray and, uh, you know, we'll keep you updated as, as necessary on those types of things. Um, but just pray for him. He needs that, uh, that encouragement. Um, so we're in Revelation chapter 21 tonight, Revelation chapter 21. And Last time, uh, Pastor had mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, we had finished uh, that last little bit of the millennial kingdom, 
uh, the great white throne judgment where all unsaved believers were um, judged. And uh, you mentioned a little bit about the resurrections. So um, when, when you think of the um, forever kingdom of God, you think about it in two different ways. So you think about it as the millennial kingdom on earth, that thousand-year reign. And then after that thousand-year reign, we get to spend eternity with Christ. So that's kind of the second phase of that, you know, uh, that, that eternal kingdom with God in the future. Uh, we talked about uh, the millennium. That's all in chapter 20, as Pastor had, had taught that in the previous weeks. But now we get to chapter 21, which is a picture of what happens after the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Um, the, the, the text here in chapter 21, this is what we all look forward to. I mean, I speak for myself, at least this is what I look forward to in, in, in chapter 21 of Revelation, um, because this is the description that we've all read and heard and talked about and dreamt about. Um, it's here in Revelation chapter 21. As the millennial reign of Christ on earth is finished, and the eternal state starts. So for all of eternity. And so let's read here in Revelation chapter 21, and I'll follow his format. We'll just read a couple of verses, and we'll comment on those, and we'll just keep working our way down uh, through uh, Revelation chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven uh, and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. So no more sea. I think that's an interesting comment as well. So this is um, 34th or the 35th time that John says, I saw, I saw, I saw. And you, and you hear that word a lot as you read through Revelation. He's seeing different things constantly. And this, what he sees here is, is, is really spectacular. He says, a new heaven and a new earth, which replaced the first heaven and the first earth, just as God had promised. Now, if you remember a few weeks back when Pastor did mention in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, um, new heaven and a new earth here. Some people, uh, there's, a, there's a school of thought where some people feel like it's going to be a renovated space. Okay, God's going to take and going to renovate this. And they base that school of thought on that word new, a new heaven, a new earth, because it can mean new in character. Okay? not new in create, creative act. It can mean new in character. And so they take it based upon that. Um, and, and that might be plausible, but I don't think that's likely. I think when he says a new heaven and a new earth, um, it's going to be completely new, completely new. You don't want to, I mean, as much as we like renovations and renovations of houses and things like that to make it look new, right? It's different from a new build, from a new house. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a place that's uh, a sin-cursed world that's been renovated. Because there's always that potential, you know. You think about it, at least I do. Always that, always that potential. I'd rather have something new. And that's what I think he's talking about here. Uh, he could, it's possible it could mean a, a renovated heaven and earth. But I believe it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And then it's very specific, by the way, in this verse. In verse 1 it says... And there will be no more sea, meaning no great oceans to cover the earth presently as possible. So I guess that means, you know, now's your chance. You really have to get as much beach time, as much ocean time as you can. Because when we get to the eternal state, there's going to be no, you know, 
no see. So maybe there's an excuse uh, <laughs> to say, let's go and get some beach time. And now in the millennial kingdom on earth, you might be able to uh, get some beach time there. But uh, anyway, in heaven it says, and there was no, also no more sea. So you think about that. I mean, honestly, if you think about that, what would it be like living on earth where there's no sea? You know, we kind of, our weather patterns and things related to the sea and, you know, go to the sea. Some of you travel boats across the sea and we fly across the sea and there's, you know, no more sea. It's kind of interesting thought. Verse 2, it says, it says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's like the capital city of a new heaven and new earth is, is New Jerusalem, is what he's saying. And John says it's a holy city. You know, it's unmarred by sin it's, or any of its effects. And, and the text tells that John saw it kind of descending down from heaven, down from God almost. And it says the description here is as a bride or prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Um, and by the way, this is the, uh, this, the connecting point here goes back to John chapter 14. And if you've ever read John chapter 14, a famous passage, um, and I was going to quote it, but my mind just forgot it. Um, and that happens sometimes. Um, but I go to prepare a place for you. Um, let me read it to you. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to go to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. That, that word prepare, it's the same word. It's the same exact word. He goes to prepare a place for us. And so there's a connecting point here that this is the place that God has gone, or Christ has gone to prepare for us. He's prepared a place for us. Um, and it's very specific. It's a very specific place he's mentioned. It's not just any place. Yeah, I got a space for you here next to me. No, it's a very specific place. I've gone to prepare a place for you and for his children. Um, so very specific. So that's the new Jerusalem. Then in verse 3, John continues, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. So of all that we know about the new Jerusalem, the most important thing is that God will be present in the city with his people. And that's enough. I mean, the fact that God will be present in the city with his people. You'll be able to go and see him. Um, and, and not offer prayers to him, but go physically and see him. Uh, just like God was present, if you remember, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, before sin came into the human race, Remember, Adam and Eve were walking and talking with God very much in the same way, like a return back to Eden, okay? Very much the same way. God was present. Adam was walking, Eve walking and talking with God. Uh, in the same way here, it says that God will be present in the city with his people. Uh, so there's this wonderful sense of intimacy that we'll have with, with God because sin is not there. 
It's not disrupting that relationship or preventing us from having that full relationship with him. It's the way it was meant to be. You know, back in the garden, that was the original intent. But then sin came in and messed things up. And it seems like the whole time God's trying to been restore back to what it was the very beginning in the book of, uh, in the book of Genesis. In verse 4 it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And I, I, I remember probably at the age of 12 or 13, I remember going to a service and uh, at church, I think it was a revival service, and they had encouraged, uh, the, the speaker encouraged, says, go home and, 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 and read through, because they were talking about Revelation. Go home and read through. I challenge you to read through something. And so I started, I thought, well, hey, I'll start with Revelation. Probably not the best thing to start with, right? But hey, he's saying, I want you to go home and, and just get in the Word, get reading. And so I was like, well, I, you know, Revelation sounds like a good, fun book, so I just started reading, you know, and, you know, you get into, I got into the first part, and then I kind of skipped around a little bit, you know, I want to get to the end, and uh, to the end, reading about, uh, I remember as a kid reading about eternity, and I was just trying to wrap my mind around it, and you just couldn't, and it was super frustrating, even to today, we try to wrap our mind around eternity, and it's hard. And, and you think about John here who is trying to describe to us what eternity, the eternal state with God is going to be like. And you can't, there's no really any words to use to describe it. And so what he does is he uses uh, words. Um, he often shows you things that are not going to be there. You know how when you describe something that you've never known before, you say, well, it looks like this, or it's kind of like this, or it kind of looks like this. But it's not. You know, it's different. You're trying to describe something that you don't know how to describe, and so you use um, compare and contrast things. Well, it kind of looks like this, but it doesn't. Like if you were living in the 1800s and you were trying to describe a car to somebody, well, it's kind of like a wagon that doesn't have any horses to it. You know, it's So what John is doing here, he's just telling us what's not going to be there as a way of trying to help us understand what it's going to be like. And so he says, no tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. I mean, you just think about those things. No tears. How many tears have we cried? No death. How many loved ones? Sorrow, crying, no pain. Because it says these former things associated with the old heaven and the old earth have passed away. Um, and And... Thank God that those things are not going to be part of that new Jerusalem, that new city. Um, and those things are taken out before the city even descends. I mean, it'd be great living in the city with Jesus, but it's even better now that none of those things are associated or in that city or with that city. So you imagine that incredible peace. It's hard, uh, that joy, satisfaction. Um, just those types of things are not going to be there. I think we all long for those days, whether it's in uh, 
death moving us to the other side, or whether it's in the rapture that comes first, however it happens, I think we all long for those, for those days. Then verses 5 and 6, it says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain, I will give the fountain of, or excuse me, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So it is certain that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth because his words are true and faithful. And I think it's very, very interesting. It says that the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, alpha and omega is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and the omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So uh, this hit me as I was thinking about this, but j- just ponder this. God gave those words to John. He knew exactly what language John was using when he was writing his New Testament. He knew he was using the Greek language. <laughs> alpha, and w- Otherwise, why would you need to put those two Greek letters in the actual scriptures, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knew exactly what John needed to help the people understand, not just for us today, but to help the people during that current time in which Revelation had been written, to help them understand the significance of it, because it says the beginning and the end. He further clarifies it. It's done here. A reference to the eternal state already accomplished. You know, from God's perspective, he's already made all things new. Um, and that world that he's created is going to be vastly different than, than the world we know today. Um, and he says, he says also these words, this phrase, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Now, uh, some people will look at that and will say, well, that sounds like a reference to salvation. Well, it's not a reference to salvation because of where we at currently in this state of time in Revelation. We're in the new heaven and new earth. If you're not part of Lamb's book of life, then you're not here. <laughs> so the fact that you use this, he uses this phrase, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely. It talks about immense spiritual blessing, like a fountain of blessings that we will enjoy, that God will freely give us for all eternity. God's resources will be at our disposal. What does that mean? I, I, I don't know. You can't really classify that, but we'll have everything we need. Just like even in a sin-cursed world today, we have everything that we need because God supplies all of our needs. But that fountain of, of water, of life to give freely to whoever who thirsts. And uh, maybe it has reference to people living in that eternal state who are just constantly thirsting and thirsting and thirsting and wanting to know more about God, more about God, more about God. And it's just an endless fountain. Endless fountain. And then verse number seven, it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, the word overcomers uh, is not some kind of word about like a Christian who overcomes something. Overcomer is, is we say it's like a synonym or a common theme in the book that is describes a believer in Christ, okay? Um, a believer in Christ. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall 
be my son. You could read the verse this way. Um, he who is a believer in Christ shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Um, so inherit all things. So think about what he's inheriting. We're talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Well, if you go all the way back again to the book of Genesis in the very beginning, what did God promise to give and let mankind inherit? He was supposed to have dominion and inherit the world, the earth, all that was there. Everything was put under his control until sin came and usurped it and took it. So it's the same kind of, same kind of, same kind of uh, uh, word here, same kind of usage here. Everything is given to those believers in Christ. A new heaven and a new earth will inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. There's no uncertainty about the believer's prospect of overcoming. It's an assumed fact that he will overcome because it's characteristic of who he is in Christ. And that's what's most important. Because of who Christ is and what he has done for us as believers in Christ, we all will overcome in that sense. So he's going to inherit all things. So just like back in the garden where Adam and Eve were given inheritance of all things, and then sin came in and messed things up, in the new Jerusalem, sin's not going to come and mess it up. And he's going to inherit all things, all things. And you'll see what he means by all things, I think, as it kind of goes through the text here and describes in a little more detail some of the aspects of the city. Verse, uh, verse 8. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars that have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So he's going to continue to describe a little bit more of the eternal state, but the Lord first reminds John of the punishment for those who have rejected Christ. Um, and this verse stands out starkly in contrast about you know, the majesty of God and these other things, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars. None of these kinds of individuals will enjoy eternity with God because they have rejected Jesus as their Savior. And so it's, it, it's again, John's trying to describe, you have to think in his context, he's trying to describe something that he has not he doesn't know how to describe it in terms that we might understand. So again, he's using the contrasts. He's saying, these types of things won't be here. These types of people won't be here. This is completely different from anything that you've ever, ever experienced, period. So he's trying to give us a description here. And he does so in more detail. Look at what he says in verse 9. It says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, it says, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So the rest of this section in Revelation in chapter uh, 21, verses 9 through 27 it's giving some very specific details about the city, the new Jerusalem here. He gets into a little more details. But he says, 
John is taken by one of these angels here to see the holy Jerusalem. But it's called specifically, the designation is the Lamb's Wife. And that's because of the primary dwelling place of us, the saints of God. Because the city takes on the, the, the characteristics of those who inhabit the city. When you talk about an evil city, you don't talk about, well, that's an evil building. <laughs> or that's an evil car that's in that city. No, those things aren't evil. It's the people that are in the city uh, that make it, that are characteristic of that city. And so the same thing is being referenced here. He's talking about the characteristics of those who inhabit the city. And the ones who inhabit the city are us, believers in Jesus Christ. We are that bridegroom. Christ is the bride. We are the groom. Or, uh, I'll get that right. But you know what I mean. And, and it's describing that city. And it's describing the inhabitants. So when we speak of a city being full of wickedness or ungodliness, we're speaking about the people, not the literal buildings or not the little streets. Um, it's the inhabitants. And the light, he says, emanating from the city is so bright that a sun or moon will be unnecessary. Um, later on in chapter, or in verse 23, he says that. The glory of God will shine as clear as crystal, providing light for all of the new creation. So again, I mean, you think about this description and, and, and your mind is, is, my mind goes in lots of different directions, trying to understand, try to grab a hold of it. And sometimes you just, you just can't. But look what he says in verse 12. Talks about the gates. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, we might think of walls as being ways to keep people out, right? Have a wall, keep people out, right? Have a fence around your property, keep people out, keep animals out, which you might think sometimes are people, but, you know, we think of walls to keep a city out, but here the Holy Jerusalem will have a wall surrounding on all four sides, and it serves as a constant reminder to the people in the city, to the inhabitants, that God is their protector. He's the one that's going to protect him. They will never have to fear any threat, never have to fear safety or security. The walls built around cities of antiquity uh, were also ornately designed to enhance the beauty of the city. They were all done in such a fashion to show off the beauty and the splendor of the city. Um, and it's certain that these walls will augment this, this, the majesty that's here in the city of Jerusalem. On each of the four sides of the city, there were three gates with the names written on them of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. The foundation stones for the walls of the city were engraved with the names of the 12 apostles. The names of them. Which 12 apostles? When a pastor gets better, you can ask him that yourself. So uh, we'll just not worry about that necessarily because I've been asked that before. And it's 12 apostles. God's already got it. It's, we're not going to be worried about 
you know, maybe in the here and now we're worried about well, who's, who, who, who's going to be it, you know, 12 apostles. Well, I don't know. I would say Matthias because that would make 12. Um, but we won't get into that. Now he measures the city. And again, you only measure something that's literal, right? There's no need to measure something that's figurative if you're thinking figuratively, but this is a literal city. And he measures it. And look what he says in verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. So we're measuring the city itself here, okay? So the city itself is laid out in a square almost. 12,000 furlongs, approximately 1,500 miles, okay? So 1,500 miles square. So I guess the best way to picture it is like some kind of floating cube, okay? So maybe that's the best way to picture it, and I, I don't really know how to picture it or describe it any other way. I've seen some really crude drawings trying to draw it, and it just doesn't look right. But it's four sides, a square 1,500 miles, it kind of just the city there, it, it, it's, it's floating as it were. Um, I think it's a cube. Some people have said that it could be a pyramid shaped. It seems pretty obvious, north, south, east, west. I mean, it pre sounds pretty obvious to me that it's a cube, uh, not a pyramid. Then it's walls, it says in verse 17. He measured its wall 144 cubits according, according to the measure of a man. That is of an angel. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. So 144 cubits, that's 216 feet. And, and John specifically mentioned that the measurement that the angel used correspond to that of a man. Not some kind of weird measurement. Some kind of, well, this is an angel yard. Well, this is a human yard. You know, there's nothing like that. He says, according to a man's measurement... This is, the, this is what it's going to be. It's very specific, isn't it? Very specific, which shows you how detailed. When God says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, he had very specific things in mind. The way he wanted a city to look. I mean, I mean, after all, he did kind of create everything. So you'd think that he's kind of a designer and would want to know exactly specifics of how things are created and, and make sure that this city... His, his crowning thing that he's going to create, we'll say, is going to be exactly what he wants to be. Not 215 feet, not 217 feet high walls, but 216 feet high walls. And it specifically mentions, again, that so that we would not become confused and think it's some kind of different measurement. The wall was made of jasper, which is crystal clear in color. Okay, So the wall's made of jasper, crystal clear. And it says, the city itself was made of pure gold, like clear glass. So you imagine all the, you know, brightness. I mean, it just kind of hurts your eyes, doesn't it, to think about how bright that would be. It's like after it snows and you go outside and the sun comes out and you're like, wow, this is brighter than it ever is on a sunny day in the middle of, middle of July. I mean, it's so bright, that reflection. And so... Again, there's not going to be any need for sun or moon because Jesus will be the light of the city. But you think about this and you think about how bright this is going to be. Clear, 
uh, crystal clear in color. I mean, how do you get a crystal clear color? I mean, that's kind of what he's saying here with Jasper. And, and the city itself was made of pure gold, like clear glass. Verse 19, and the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And he lists them. The first foundation was Jasper, the second sapphire, the third Chalcedon, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth Christophrase. I think I said that right, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were, I like this, the twelve were twelve pearls. Okay, They weren't like pearls or compared to pearls. It says the 12 gates were pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. That's a big pearl. Okay. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So several different foundation stones are mentioned here, some of which are not easily identified at this period in history, but we can identify them today. You got these luxurious stones, these brilliant colors. Um, he's got a list here. Uh, Jasper would be crystal clear. Sapphire would be blue. Chalcedony would be a greenish blue. Emerald, of course, is green. Sardunx is white streaks. Sardis is blood red. Crystallite is yellow. Beryl is green. Topaz is a yellow green. Christophrase is a golden or apple green. Jacinth is blue, and amethyst is uh, a rich purple. So lots of different colors. I feel like I want to say Skittles, all the colors of the rainbow, right? <laughs> you guys know that, don't you? All these different colors that are here. So this is not just a, a simple city that you might see, uh, you know, in the distance as it descends out of heaven. I mean, this is, this is a sight to behold. Uh, there is nothing, and he's... It seems like God has taken all his creative acts and put them into this one city as far as what he's designing and what he's creating. Um, and then it also says that very last phrase, I want to take note of this, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, I know there's some songs that say streets, plural, but it says street, singular, okay? Now, don't let that make you think that heaven is somehow less because there's not more than one uh, street of gold. It just says one street of gold. The ancient cities, the way they were, you had a boulevard that ran up right through the middle of the city. In ancient Babylon, there was a processional way. It was the main boulevard that ran, opened the gate, and it ran through the entirety of the city from front to back. Okay? It was the main thoroughfare through the city. That was the main street. So what he's saying here is that the main street, the main thoroughfare through the city is all pure gold. It's not more than one street. It says street of gold. Anyway, uh, so sometimes we think of all the different streets and everything. But, I mean, the city is going to be beautiful. I'm not trying to split hairs. But I just want you to understand how it will look. you got this boulevard that goes all through the main city. And then the 12 gates, each made of a single pearl. The beauty of that, the weight of that, I guess. I don't know if a pearl is heavy when it gets that big or not. I don't know. Um, you ladies who have a lot of them around your necks could probably tell us, I guess, I guess that they get weighty or not. I don't know. 
Verse 22, it says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. Three more specific things. The first of these is no temple. God's presence will inhabit the city. There's no need for a temple to specifically be the place where God's presence is housed or dwells. Like in the tabernacle where God dwelled in the, you know, in the midst of his people in the tabernacle or in the temple. There's no specific place here. Temple is not there because God is living in that city. Um, so those, those specifically, no temple. No need of the sun or no need of the moon. I mean, think about that. What, what is a world like with no sun or no moon? Can you imagine looking up into the sky and not seeing the sun or not seeing the moon? It's not there, not existent. It doesn't need to be there because the glory of God illuminates it. Okay, So there's no night, no day. It's all the same. And the lamb, it says, is its light. So he is the light. So, you know, I tease and say, and get so tired, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to rest and sleep all the time. Well, it's not going to happen. Verse 24, it says, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means entering, entering it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So access to this holy Jerusalem will only be available to people, no matter their ethnic background. It doesn't matter. Only available to believers in Christ to believers that put their faith in Christ. And God's purpose in speaking of the nations and, and the kings of the earth is not to indicate there are going to be divisions of people during the eternal state. It's not what he's saying here. Divisions or nations can be translated as Gentiles. Um, as the peoples and kings of the earth in ancient times would bring their gifts into the city of the greatest king, so everyone will bring their glory and their honor into the celestial city and present them to the, to the Lamb. That's, that's the context of what he's trying to talk about here. And, and everybody will have access to the city at all times. There's no, oh, hey, we have to get into the city before the gates close. Not that at all. Only the ones inhabiting the eternal state are those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Therefore, no reason exists. There isn't any. Uh, for the gates to protect its citizens from the dangers and destructions of a sin-cursed world. Satan's gone. Death and hell are gone. Nothing that defiles or calls an abomination shall enter the city. The inhabitants are perfectly safe all the time. All the time. Let that set in for a minute. The inhabitants of the city, if you're living in that city... You are perfectly safe all the time. Think about today. We're not perfectly safe. You know, there's dangers all around us. 
but living in this city, in the New Jerusalem, says you're perfectly safe all the time. There's no need to worry. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. The wonderful promise that we have as believers in Christ is that we will dwell in this city forever. But I just, I keep hearing that phrase, safe at all times. What will we like to live in a place like that where we're just completely safe every single day? You had nothing to worry about. Your focus could be just on living. And I think that's the intent. But safe at all times. What a great description of the new Jerusalem he's giving here in chapter 21. But there's more in chapter 22. However, we're not going to talk about that this week. We're going to save that um, for next week.